Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm your co-host, Yusuf. And today we are here with Roger Hudson, who is who has a youth, really cool YouTube channel called First Person Science Communication. So Roger, welcome to our show and tell us, uh, well, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to spread the word of science communication. We're on the awesome. same team here. Awesome. Yes, we are in the same, on the same team. So I guess my first question is, well, tell us something about how, well, tell us about how you came to be interested in creating this YouTube channel. What is first person science communications about and a bit about your background that led you to create this idea? Yeah, great questions. Um, so start off, I guess, essentially, uh, I spent three years with GradCast. Uh, it was a fantastic experience learning the ropes on how to do podcasting and how to speak uh, in public, how to ask proper questions. It was a really fun experience. If anybody knows me, I love hearing myself talk. So that's another big reason why I continue to do it. But uh, essentially, I, I, I saw this void after a few years of learning the ropes with GradCast and seeing that online at least within the social medias and in the general forums uh, between scientists and the public where they get together to interact mostly twitter and other places like this there seems to be this growing divide between scientists and the public where scientists and the public will not agree on what the science is and when the public will bring up doubts or questions or concerns about certain concepts or ideas or topics oftentimes this isn't universally the case, of course, several scientists are very good at communicating their science. And of course, across the board, they're experts in the science that they do. But they're oftentimes not the best communicators of that science. And this is where kind of the problem uh, belies or, or beholds us. There is a growing divide between scientists and the public. And with scientists unable to effectively communicate their science, to the public, there leads to this uh, greater amount of science miscommunication. Once a scientist goes out and does an interview with a journalist, now that information is out of their hands. They right. give an ownership to that journalist. And whatever that journalist does, of course, they have the best interests in mind of the public, but they're oftentimes not the best at communicating the nuances and the niche uh, communication and the little niche topics that really make or break the concepts. There's a big difference between cannabis causes schizophrenia and cannabis increases your risk for schizophrenia if you're genetically predisposed, right? So there's several nuances and different factors here. So what is your podcast doing specifically that's different from other uh, scientific podcasts that have existed before? Yeah, another great question, Nick. Thank you. So essentially, what we do is put that ability to communicate the science back into the scientist's hands. I touched on that when an individual or a scientist goes out into the media to spread awareness of their science, they're effectively giving ownership of that content to the individual who will now write the story or communicate it through their particular media outlet. By taking that opportunity from the scientists, by taking that opportunity away from the scientists, we're taking the ability away from them to control the narrative and to effectively, uh, I guess, 
prevent the miscommunication of their ideas and of their science by putting the ball back in their court. The people who actually were on the ground doing the research in the laboratory wrote up the paper. They are the best experts in the research. And by giving them the opportunity to speak on it and correct the misinformation that might be at play there within the general spectrum of the topics of the research subjects, we're, we're hopefully doing a service to mend that growing divide between scientists and the public. But I mean, I guess what I'm wondering is because, you know, you sort of said that the scientists themselves can oftentimes not be the best communicators. Um, so what about your podcast is making them better at communicating if you're putting them back into your hands? Because like I thought that there's a whole industry of like journalists, science writers whose job it is to make that more accessible. When scientists are left of their own accord to communicate the science, and especially on forums like Twitter or, or other Instagram or other forums where there's a very short amount of space to actually communicate your ideas, there's limited opportunity for that long form kind of discussion for the scientists to fully make their point. And oftentimes, the ideas aren't triggered in their head. So I don't want to take all of the credit here, of course, because we have a team that, that's working on the podcast slash YouTube channel that are really helpful in generating some of the lines of questioning, other hosts, other producers and things like this. But essentially it's our job as the hosts, and you know this very well as hosts of your own podcast there, that by asking the correct questions, you're able to get the right information out of those individuals. And if the, and like you just did with me there, I didn't mention, and I, I didn't go through with this point and say that the whole point of our podcast is to you know get the scientists on our show interview them about their specific manuscript or their specific research paper that they just published or that they've been the author of and get their perspectives and narratives as we go through the entire manuscript and the general topics associated with it. So I hope that that answers your question, Mike. Right. So Roger, um, well, I watched a few of the videos in, on your channel, First Person Science Communications, and I've got to say, I'm impressed. I've watched the introduction video as well, and some others on flight or flight video, for instance. Thank you. And what I noticed that one of the best features for me as someone who is a visual learner, first and foremost, in a very strong sense, I really appreciate the graphics, the animations, the various texts that you highlight as you're having a discussion with someone, an author who is exposing their manuscript material. I think those visual aids in particular, the animations that sometimes I think you refer to as, I think, a journal club approach to a visualization were extremely helpful. So I was wondering, how did you come up with those sorts of um, ideas and, and what else do you think can be done to further improve facilitation of learning in that way to make sure that the complex ideas are communicated as effectively as, uh, effectively as possible with scientists who may not be in, in specializing in neuroscience, but perhaps cognitive science or even philosophy of science, which is something I do. And see, uh, I, I think it's definitely applicable across the board. It's not limited to just neuroscience or, or, or even the sciences. This, this can be applied to all forms of higher education. It's not just so. One aspect of this, because there's a few different aspects to this, 95% of research articles or, or journal articles that are published in science, in, in society, they are funded on the public tax dollar. And yet, 
95% of those journal articles are not accessible by the public. They're, they're closed access. You need to pay upwards of sometimes a couple of hundred dollars or more in order to access a single article, which is outrageous. And who can really be expected to afford this? I know that even scientists, for the most part, I'd say 99% of them, there's very few rich scientists that would be actually able to afford the, the costs associated with, with uh, reading these journal articles. So obviously institutions like universities and research institutes, they have uh, libraries that uh, orchestrate deals with these publishers so that we get larger volumes of access than normal. However, even if an individual is able to access the articles, and there are several sites out there that, uh, you know, science piracy sites where you can access typically closed access journal articles because individuals, uh, well-meaning individuals are spreading that, uh, th those papers. But oftentimes the, the person who doesn't have the science background doesn't have the capacity to fully comprehend the concepts that are being laid out within the journal article. So by walking, this could very easily, what, what we're trying to do here with first person science, very easily be done with just a podcast, just the audio version. However, by giving that and just by doing just the audio version, we'd be walking through the podcast in the same way we do, explaining the introduction, explaining the concepts associated with it, asking questions that are a little bit more far reaching, and then really delving into the methods, uh, the techniques that are used to make these discoveries and the results that are associated with them. But that audio portion only goes so far by, by having the opportunity to visualize uh, the actual uh, methodologies or the technologies that are associated with experiments and then seeing the results, not just hearing about them and okay, THC did this or CBD blocked that, actually be able to see what happened with your own eyes, the data that's, that's out there for all the scientists themselves. It gives the public a better opportunity to really understand the scientific process and hopefully a chance to enhance scientific literacy overall. So I'm wondering what are some of the techniques that you use to sort of make, besides like the images, what are some of the ways um, that you have taken to interview scientists to sort of um, not dumb it down, but make it accessible? Well, it's well known that the average, uh, especially once somebody's been out of school for a long period of time, like most adults, the average uh, reading comprehension level is about a fifth grade level. That like the ver the verbiage, the terminologies, the jargon that's associated with a lot of science. You know, brain areas. So, for example, just as a neuroscientist myself, talking about brain regions or neurotransmitters or the functions or associations between them. There's a lot of lingo and terminology and jargon that just goes right over my head as well. Neuroscience is such a huge field. Yeah, so I, I just I just really think that going into detail with some of these concepts gives us a better opportunity. I'm not sure if I fully answered your question though. Nick, sorry. Yeah, but like um, I'm just sort of wondering like if you sort of encourage the guests who come on to sort of explain things in a sort of more basic format. Yeah, yeah. So so we'll start off with say like a for example a fifth grade knowledge base, and, mm. and the goal is we're trying to appeal to a target audience that is interested in science, but may not have the background to understand the, the full capacity or the full implications from simply reading the journal article with all the jargon filled within there. So I'm sorry, Nick, can you repeat that question one more time? Mm -hmm. So I'm just sort of wondering like what techniques you use um, when you're interviewing to sort of make 
accessible? Like, do you ask the interviewers sort of to sort of like make the answers like accessible or do you ask them to define terms and things like that? Yes, essentially. So we'll start off with a fifth grade knowledge base um, and we'll build up from there. So we'll start off very basic and we'll really just build up the knowledge from there and the complexity. It gives an opportunity for people that don't have the background of the knowledge base to tune in and to tag along and to fully understand the process and hopefully for scientists to tune in and actually get some interest out of it as well. It's almost like an audio book for a journal article except with extra perspectives and narratives from the author, from the scientists themselves. And I guess also too, like the author can talk about you know, I guess all the work that went behind it, so you can get like a behind the scenes sort of perspective too. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, I think there, were, I, I'm not sure if this is new knowledge or not, but I saw a recent article on the Twitter that 85 or 90% of all uh, biomedical and psychology, social science articles, their hypotheses are confirmed. Like they, they state their hypotheses in the introduction and oh, yeah. look, at, we were right, right? So it oftentimes doesn't happen that way. Oftentimes, you know, you'll start off with a certain idea, you'll get a certain set of results. You're like, what the hell? How do we even, how do we even explain this? And you conduct more. Change your hypothesis. And you're like, that was my hypothesis the whole time. <laughs> exactly. Right. And you know, I'm not a big fan of that. Of course, sometimes it is the truth and you, you want to tell the truth, of course, but it's also about telling a fascinating story. And in my eyes, it actually is a better story. A lot of the time when I thought this initially, but then, this happened and now i think it's this you know what i mean so so i'm i'm wondering let's go back a little bit to the sort of creation of the podcast i was wondering what what that looked like did you start this on your own or do you have a team and how did it come to be like the logistics of it you know i have a you know few years of experience in the podcasting field with gradcast but my knowledge of making videos how to promote um, any kind of product, video making, audio engineering, all of this stuff completely over my head and, and outside of my wheelhouse. So it, it, it's not possible to be done, at least by myself. I'm sure there's some people who, lots of people who are able to do it by themselves, but at least at this point, I've had several uh, members helping me. It started off with just myself and my uh, good friend from the University of Guelph, Thomas LaPointe, colleague of mine, uh, work with similar addiction related fields. So now we have a team of a few people, actually, Dr. Paul Shepard, Dr. Mina Nashed, Dr. Stephen Daniels, and Brian Jenkins. We're all spread out throughout Ontario, and it's expanded from there. We've gotten individuals that are uh, highlighting or uh, specializing in audio engineering versus the video production portion of it, social media. Uh, we, we've actually gotten uh, several collaborations in line as well with other podcasts, uh, social media networks, and as well with the University of Western Ontario. Uh, we are now uh, taking on interns from the Master of uh, Media and Journalism Communications program because there is an internship uh, void that needs to be filled. Right. So, Roger, when you were creating this channel, first person, for example, first person science communication, yeah. Um, what made you focus on the first person aspect? Um, I'm sure you must have had many ideas to narrow it down. And what do you think were the advantages to, to do exactly what you're doing right now? Well, you know, I, the, the idea is in the name and at least that, that's how I feel though. When you think of the acronym FPS, it's not the best acronym. So 
there have been ideas about changing names, but I, I'm really, I really like the name and it really, I think speaks volumes to the fact that we are putting the audience or the listener, the, the viewer in the first person perspective. They get a front nice. row seat to the science, understanding the science and listening to the scientists themselves. We're actually trying to, uh, we're currently in the process of expanding mm -hmm. our ability to uh, offer viewers and those that are interested in it to come in and live view our episodes. Of course, this is impossible during COVID, but there's tons of opportunities with Zoom for, for uh, chat rooms and for oh, yeah. the audience and those that are interested to ask questions to the scientists themselves and hear their question live on the internet for all to hear. And, uh, you know, I think that that's a very cool experience. Um, I'm wondering about the process of finding guests for the podcast, um, because, you know, that's something that on broadcast, you know, we work with recruiting events and, and such things. Um, but how do you go about it, um, especially if your team members are remote and things like that? Yeah, so essentially, it's a little bit more limited than I, I, I guess with GradCast, because with GradCast, you would, there's a little bit more wider based to, to choose from. But with the first person science, we aim to have individuals on who have been authors, preferably first authors on a manuscript, on a scientific manuscript, peer reviewed and published in a scientific journal. And we have them on to speak about their research in order to you know, explain it in that way. So for the most part, we only have 10 episodes so far. It's been mostly colleagues and friends uh, that, that I've known throughout the years that I've met at different conferences. We, we've already, uh, we're already international. So we have a couple of guests that have already been on the show from, from the United States. We have a few guests that are in the works from Europe, uh, even Africa, South Africa currently. So hopefully really widening our viewership and widening our listenership base and, and widening the spectrum of research that we're able to feature on the show. So I, I'm, I've really enjoyed the content that I saw on First Person Science and I was just wondering, I mean, you've already gained quite a bit of traction in terms of subscribers in a very short time. And it's expanding as we speak, so that's pretty awesome. Thank but you. I was, just, I was just wondering, do you think in the future, perhaps there could be some sister channels of your YouTube channel? Perhaps first person science, philosophy of science emphasis, or first person science, um, artificial intelligence or ecology emphasis, with the same kind of um, goals that you have that has been extremely good in exposing complex ideas, particularly close to neuroscience for the general public. Have you thought of those things and um, sort of some ideas for the future as well? Yusuf, you're a true entrepreneur, my friend. <laughs> you know, these are fantastic ideas. And of course, these ideas have floated around. It's, you know, instead of just first person science, of course, there could be spinoffs within that specific science, first person neuroscience, first person social science. They'll also be completely opposite of science altogether. Anything that's related to something that an, individ that an individual wants to learn about that happens within a higher education, first person history, first person, you name it. You know, ho hopefully that's the, you know, building a brand is a big project and it's tough enough keeping this going as it is with the people that we have going who are super dedicated and super passionate to science communication. So we definitely need more individuals just uh, in general, never mind first person science, but more scientists and higher educated individuals speaking their knowledge and speaking their mind on, uh, on the world because, you know, too much misinformation and fake news floating around. There. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, that's true. Thinking about that, I sort of was wondering, maybe we can talk a little bit about, um, not 
your podcast for a second, but about the problem that your podcast is trying to fix. Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. What do you think has been sort of, uh, because I think, I think, I think this, there is definitely an anti authority sort of movement right now. Um, and especially on the internet, you know, like there's, there's a lot of spaces where um, sort of distrust against vaccines, against like the round earth and things like this. But of course, those are the famous examples, but there's, I think a real distrust of science and science expertise right now. Um, where do you think that comes from? You know, it's tough to pinpoint, it, especially in this whole COVID-19 dilemma that we're currently facing. You can't go on to a vaccine-related uh, video or post on, on the social medias without getting half of the comments filled with Bill Gates and Gates Foundation and all of these wacky conspiracy theories. And, you know, when you actually take the time to listen to them, they're well thought out. They're very logical. And they're like, no, it doesn't, you know... It, in my bad, in my worst days, I've uh, you know actually commented back to some of these people and said, "What do you think Bill Gates is going into the scientists' labs, saying, hey, all of you, put this in the vaccines, make it mind control,' and you know that obviously isn't happening, right? And they're smart enough, these conspiracy. And I'm saying that, I'm not saying they're dumb. They're you know obviously smart enough to question the status quo or that uh, dominant fantasy that, that's emerging within society. However the facts just don't add up. It takes a lot of, okay, this needs to happen. And then you start stacking the odds up and, you know, on top of it already just being a, you know, a multi-billion dollar company or industry that's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know where it comes from, Nick. Where does it come from? I don't know. I mean, I guess the only thing we can do is try to bridge that divide, but it seems very sort of difficult in society right now. Yusuf, any ideas? Well, I mean, I have a question on relating to this uh, issue. Um, you have episodes on your channel helping us to be clear on more complex ideas that are expressed. But I was wondering if uh, whether or not you would be open to have episodes on sort of sort of meta episodes, episodes on effective communication between scientists and hmm. the public, for example, or episodes on avoiding disinformation or fake news um, or something like that. Would you be interested in having people talking just on these issues themselves that sort of are in line of the goals that your channel has set? I'm writing them down right now. That's how much I want because sparked my imagination. These, this is clearly the point of the channel is to enhance this kind of science and what better way to do it than hopefully by you know giving some kind of instruction you know we're no experts either we're learning as we go this is a very difficult um, process to go through and I'm not in any way trying to put down science communicators in any way they do a fantastic job and without them you know people like me would never be in science to begin with I'm a first generation student uh, never had any parents or for extended family members for that matter ever go to university or college so in that sense I, I really feel like uh, having that science communication is is a value and a value to a lot of people but being able to do it in a proper way and really communicate those nuances and the niche points I think that that is where a lot of the struggle comes and we're trying to overcome it ourselves that's awesome it would be really cool to for you to maybe even uh, ask this uh, philosopher her name is Caitlin O'Connor. She's from UC Ireland, and 
uh, she wrote a book on the misinformation age and she gave a talk recently at Western as well. Um, So having such people on your show as well would be really cool. finding more people like that would be really great as well absolutely i'd really like to get get the name because i I missed the name but we'll we'll chat about it after the show or or... caitlin o'connor c-a-i-t-l-i-n o'connor that must be a fantastic talk i'm sorry i missed it was super super cool what did you learn from it i learned uh that sometimes engaging with people who might be uninformed or misinformed, um, it's important not to necessarily shame them. If someone's anti-vaccines, it doesn't help if you make fun of them. Uh, It's important that they might be more receptive to information that that they think their sources are reliable, so they might listen to people with similar ideas. So impacting those kinds of uh, belief systems is more helpful than say, for example, making fun of people because they're disinformed or something like that was one, one thing that was interesting for me since I used to be also get annoyed. But like, what are you talking about? It's so stupid. But and maybe really, it's not helpful to say that. And that really speaks to, I think, what, what Nick, you were talking about, like kind of the root of this whole problem. And we know from reinforcement learning theory and psychology and learning and memory knowledge and research to begin with that punishment is not an effective way for behavior change the most effective way to change behavior is uh, positive reinforcement and you know that's where i think a lot of the disconnection is here that even if you're not a scientist you still have a role to play everybody in the public has a role to play here if you hear somebody spouting anti-vaccination ideas you need to really understand where they're coming from here these people aren't trying to in fact, they, what they are doing, they think what they are doing is correct with the best of their knowledge, with the best of their, of their passion. They wouldn't be actively putting their children or others' children at risk if they truly thought that it was wrong. So we really need to work on understanding where these ideas are coming from, what is starting them, like you're saying, Nick, and Yusuf, I think that that's a great point. Uh, altogether. Maybe one of the difficulties from a science perspective or a scientist perspective is because I think like, for example, if I were to, you know, approach someone who is anti-vaxxer, for example, like, I don't want to shame them. So like, on the one hand, because I, you know, I don't think shame, I think shaming them will make it, will make them think this is like a me versus you thing. and Obviously not. But the other hand, there's this sort of hesitancy where like if I if I take them seriously it will like validate their ideas in a way like so there's this weird sort of catch-22 where you don't want to validate them but you also don't want to shame them so I think that there's this really fine line to play and it's a very fine line because like you're saying nobody wants to validate misinformation that's the opposite of what any of us are trying to do here but in order to access that part of the brain that somebody is open to accepting new information, we need to, you know, building rapport is necessary. If you're, so if you're just disowning somebody or or dismantling their ideas simply because of the idea and not trying to dig deeper, then that is a part of the problem and everybody has a role to play in this. That's true. So um, I'm wondering, um, because you talked about how you sort of didn't have experience of video editing and sound editing and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, what were the steps you took to learn those things? 
um, because I'm wondering if uh, someone else wants to sort of create their own podcast, for example, what are the things that you um, to sort of make science more accessible? So I don't want to say it's easy, but it's definitely accessible to anybody who has a computer, any kind of microphone, you know, most computers or cell phones have microphones and the video portion is really optional. I mean, so it, spreading your ideas is a great thing. I, I know a few people who just record themselves for fun and put it up on the internet without having any, it's on private. So nobody actually listens to them, but it's actually a really good strategy to try for getting used to public speaking and just getting used to speaking in, about things more freely without scripting yourself and without, you know, working off of uh, certain pre-planned ideas. Going back to uh, some of the episodes and content of your channel, I wonder, um, do you have any particular episodes that you really enjoyed yourself and you thought they went really well as well? Would you recommend some episodes for listeners out there? And do you have any favorites? My episode, for sure. You got to see episode two. No, it's, it's one, of the, <laughs> you know, one of our earlier episodes. Uh, it's not of the highest quality. It's not even actual uh, live video of the two of us actively speaking it's overlaid with images and slides and illustrations and figures from the manuscript and things like this it is a very interesting topic though thc versus cbd and how cbd can offset some of those psychoactive or psycho um, schizophrenia like psychosis related side effects related to thc I would recommend any of our more recent episodes I think that any there's something there for everybody regardless of your interest there's a lot of content about about addiction it's not, it's not only about neurons we have stuff about glial cells we have stuff about learning and memory basic learning and me memory mechanisms and then also more naturalistic or experiential memory like like you mentioned the uh fight or flight episode that you watched yusuf where right, an actual great. owl is constructed by uh peter zambetti the, the main author of that of that paper and he allows the rat to be scared and shocked from above by this handmade owl which is actually a very freaky i loved it i loved it look at it how they show that the males and females react differently males might be more vulnerable to just run away immediately whereas females might be more you know they might take the risk you got it no that's the exact yeah. that's exactly it man yeah so and i think the that the sex differences is a huge part of that and also that this is done from a perspective that because typically with rat research or, or all forms of research is done with it a very concealed uh, laboratory environment a standardized environment that isn't representative of real world experiences much of the time so by trying to get more of that face validity that real world uh, comparison between there it's going to help improve uh, research and science progression and also hopefully uh, take aim at this replication crisis that we're currently in within oh, yeah. biomedical research Oh, yeah. So, Roger, you are in your third year of your PhD, correct? Uh, third year of the PhD, but I was a year and a half in the master's to start, so I've been here a little while. Mm -hmm. So, what are your plans for the future after your PhD? And I'm just wondering what, to go alongside that, what are your future plans with first person science? Well, I, you know, my true, my one true love is research. I'm married to the game, as they say. But, you know, it, it, and just going back to being a first generation student really quickly, if it wasn't for being in a class, which I thought I was going to drop 
until that second class when I, we experienced what I now study today is the reinforcement learning and addiction-related learning and memory processing and emotional-related learning and memory processing in the brain. I had never been exposed to anything like this before. And I think if there was more opportunity to become exposed to this kind of thing, a lot of individuals that are complete, might completely write off science for now or currently, they understand, wow, like this is something I'd actually be interested in. It's that first step, that dipping your toes in, which makes all the difference because this has changed my entire life. I, I don't know what I'd be doing if it wasn't for this. So definitely to answer your question, Nick, going forward, I want to do a postdoctorate. Uh, I want to do a postdoc somewhere, uh, hopefully at a university or a research institute that specializes in addiction neuroscience and the epigenetic or genetic mechanisms that might underlie some of this predisposition and the uh, individual differences that we see, such as with cannabis, how some people experience a very, very good effect, very euphoric, happy, laughing, whereas other people get very upset, aversive, you know, not a good time, paranoid. So it's understanding some of these things that really drives me. And uh, in terms of first person science, it's a fun hobby. And I'm really enjoy, I, I, like I said earlier at the start, I love talking. You, you go to the channel, you'll hear me talk all the time. But I'm also very passionate about science communication. So, you know, if nobody was watching the channel, Yusuf, you mentioned subscribers. We don't have that many, you know, we're just over 300 currently. I really appreciate you saying that though. And I'm super excited that we're even at that many. It means that we're doing it's awesome thing right. Yeah, so, Roger. Um, and that's pretty cool. I mean, I was thinking about it. I'm sure like in such a short time to achieve that, that's all, already amazing. And it seems like this will be, I think it, it will be huge just because of the basic ideas and how well it's working. I see no, no, no reason why it wouldn't expand much larger than what it is right now. I was wondering, of course, that this must have been a daunting task or project to take early on with all the work going on. You don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of time investment, and yeah. maybe you want to buy some equipment and so on and so forth. Could you share just briefly, I know we're running out of time somewhat, um, what that was like for, uh, for you in terms of the difficulties you faced early on in, in making this project realize? It's scary to sum up in one word. I mean, that's a bad word to use. It's amazing. It's extremely fun to put it in two words. I, I love doing it and I wouldn't continue to do it if I didn't love doing it. That said, that was the initial thought. And of course, I still do it because of that. But there are some times where I think to myself, oh man, you know, this isn't picking up as much as, you know, I wish it would have, you know what I mean? And, you know, I have to push those thoughts in my head and they are just momentary blipses because at the end of the day, no matter what you do, if you're enjoying it and you think it's helping you, then that's what matters. And even if nobody is watching, to, to anybody out there who is trying to start a podcast, if nobody's watching, who cares? Because the internet never forgets. And, you know, for that matter, enjoy what you're doing and people will come if, if you're doing what you love. I think that's a good, inspiring place to end off, Roger. I think that's, we're reaching the end of the I really like that message that, you know, People should do what they're liking. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing to make science more accessible to people. I think that's really important right now. And I think the, 
doing that online is especially important at this time where everyone's stuck at home, so. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it, it's a wonderful goal. Uh, it's something that we should all strive for. And I'm very happy that you, you, you've taken the big project and it's going well. And that's exactly the kind of thing I think we need in academia and to, to make sure that public is well informed and it's it's really cool, especially you know the basic sciences at least. Thank you guys. I can't thank you enough for letting me come on and explain and you know give a shout out to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome to come on. And if anybody is ever interested in coming on to share their research with uh, the world, we get upwards of a thousand to fifteen hundred viewers slash listeners per episode. So this is you know for the average journal article that only gets ten reads, and some of them are only read by the art by the authors themselves. This is a huge increase in. Um, email us at firstpersonsciencepod at gmail.com. You can get in contact with me on Twitter at, at RMJHudson or uh, yeah, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash firstpersonsciencepodcast. Thank you. Awesome, Roger. Well, thanks for being on the show. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Nick. I'm your co-host, Yusuf. And today we've been speaking with Roger Hudson. And this episode was produced by Greg Robinson. If you'd like to be involved in the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. And to listen to us, we are on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can find all previous episodes at our website, gradcast.ca, or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Select podcasts have been uploaded to our YouTube channel, Broadcast Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.